Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. So it's been an, a busy week this week, Melanie. We've Very busy. Talking about that. Um, so let's get right into what's been going on. Uh, first, we had some sad news. Um, you, you, long-time listeners will know that uh, one of the things we like to do in the spring through fall is go to farmer's market. There's a particular farmer's market uh, in our area that we go to on Saturdays. And uh, we've been doing that since 2009, 2009, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The spring after we moved here. So 14 years and um, you know, (laughs) we've gotten to know the vendors. There's, there's been some changes over the years. You know who I didn't see was, um, this week when I went, it was Tom, the fish guy. And hopefully they'll be back. Um, but the, you know, the vendors change over the years. Some have been there forever. Uh, but the, the, you know, the others, uh, you know, they come and go, but they've been there for many of them have been there for a long time. So there was this one particular vendor, this guy who only showed up in the fall when his produce was ready. Um, Jerry, who sold Asian pears. He basically, that's, that's it. He just grew Asian pears. He had an orchard and that was his, that was his passion was growing Asian pears, various, various kinds. And over the years, he's been so kind to us. Very, very. Yeah. Kind. I mean, we would talk, we'd show up and we'd have five kids in tow and we'd tell them about how how much the kids loved the pears. And he would, you know, sometimes give us extra ones that were like bruised or whatever, you know. And frequently he had samples out. He would cut them up and, and hand off hand them around and have everybody taste them and tell yeah. tell them which ones they liked best. <laughs> and like he knows we are going to, we're going to buy the pears and we all like them. He's just being kind and sharing the pears and sharing his passion. So, um, we didn't see him last fall though. And I was wondering about that. Why, we, why he didn't, you know, we didn't go every week. Uh, you know, it's just, it's gotten to the point where we just can't make, make it like we used to, like we used to go every week, every Saturday, from May to November, we were there. Um, but it's gotten to the point where we just, you know, we, we make it a couple of times a month at best, um, just with the different things going on. And so we didn't see him. And then the market sends out an email, you know, the week before telling you who's going to be there and what's going on. And they had the announcement that Jerry had died. Jerry had passed away. And it was very sad. I was, yeah. I was moved part, maybe because I, you know, I've had a few losses you know, my dad and my mom this within the past eight months. So, you know, it, it kind of hits home a little bit to, you know, to have more loss. I mean, it was, we weren't close you know, or anything, but he was just someone I knew and um, he was such a kind person. So, you know, if you get a chance, remember in your prayers, say a prayer for the repose of the soul of Jerry and his, and the constellation of his family, his wife. Uh, I think it, her name was either Maggie or Madge. Um, but uh, yeah, that she was she's kind as well. So and so yeah, you remember them. In any case, we uh, we had the 
the it was the third week of the farmer's market, but the first one that I could make it to, you didn't make it. You and Bella stayed behind, but I took the other the other kids, the other four. Right. And got to the market. Had to get there early because they had recordings with Jimmy. So I had to get back. And uh, but uh, so we had. um, So I went and we did a quick run through and I went to the 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 produce farm, Aeonian, and picked up. I love spring radishes, the big, meaty spring radishes that are so huge compared to the supermarket ones. And what else? The strawberries, like fresh in-season strawberries are just so good. Then, um, and I also got from them some chard and some cilantro and some spring greens uh, for salad. So that's, that'll be good. And then we went over to the bakery, Pan d'Avignon, uh, where Cecilia, who's so, so nice. She's so, she's, she's so always great. kind. She's, she's really sweet. Um, and was like, she kind of was stood there staring at the kids for a second. Like, why are they so big? And like, there's this line forming behind us. She's like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm just staring at your children. <laughs> Let me go get your things. We got a baguette and some, and some sliced sourdough bread. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was she's, good. She's known the kids since they were little. Bella was three when we first started going, you know? I don't think she was there the first couple of years, but. No, um, it was a, she came in. A few years in, there was another lady who was there. Remember the lady who was like, she was like the extra in a movie or something. Remember that? She was in one of the Ben Affleck or Matt Damon movies or Wahlberg movie or something. Right. Yeah. It was, yes. Just something like that. But she was in it. I think um, Patriot Day. Patriot's Day. I think the she. No, no. It was a comedy. It was the um, the Mark Wahlberg movie with Will Ferrell. Uh, 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 Daddy something or other. Where they're like the two dad, the the um, the divorced dad and the second dad, you know, the then the remarriage dad. Um, I haven't seen it myself, but she, I know I, I gather she was actually in that with a speaking part, which was kind of funny. Anyway, that's a far afield. Then <laughs> I went over to Summer's Body, got our jams. Those ladies have been there from the beginning. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, strawberry jam, raspberry jam, blueberry jam. blueberry jam is my favorite. I love blueberry jam. Uh, got some cookies from Steel and Rye, spelt chocolate chip cookies. Those were I probably could have eaten one of those then. Oh, I suppose. Well, they might have had regular flour in it too. But oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm they, I'm going wheat free currently because I've been having lots of rashes, and my doctor thinks that it's probably a wheat intolerance that I've developed. So. Well, the fact that Lucy had a wheat allergy for a long time is probably not a coincidence. Yeah, I think that maybe I got sensitized to it by not eating wheat for a few years and then going back to it. I think my body just sort of said, what is this? It's a foreign substance. I don't want it. <laughs> right. I don't know. So I don't, um, I don't love this. So the only other thing I got, I picked up some um, pork belly from Copacit Farms, which I used in some Saturday night's dinner, which I'll mention in a few minutes. So that was nice to get there. I didn't see Mark, the market manager. Um, he wasn't there. Or the other lady that we always see. Uh, they weren't there. So hopefully we'll see them um, next time. So the other thing that was going, that was Saturday. So go, going backwards in time to Thursday, uh, which was for us Ascension Thursday, because we live in one of the dioceses where that's on the feast day. Uh, we went to mass in the midday, but it was Isabella's birthday. And our right. new tradition is 
one parent and the birthday child go out to dinner because we can no longer afford to take everyone out to dinner. And uh, so tell you can talk about right, where so you guys I, went because she took, picked you. She picked you instead of me, obviously. Me. Uh, I, yeah, Isabella wanted seafood. And so we went to our favorite seafood place, Jake's, where we usually go at least once a summer. Um, it's in Hingham. It's no, it's in Hull. It's in Hull. Rather. Yeah. It's right on the water. Uh, like, Literally, the the dining room looks out over the, the um, bay. The bay, yeah. And she had fried clams and clam chowder. That's my her girl. favorites. And uh, I had pokey tuna, uh, which is raw tuna seasoned with soy and sesame and scallions. And then I had a green salad to go with it. It was a it was an appetizer, but it was plenty of food for. Mm for a meal and uh, we sat and watched the goals uh, fishing on the mud flats pulling up clams and crabs and flying off to go drop them somewhere and crack them open and uh, we watched the tide come in it was really lovely mm. uh, lovely dinner and we sat and chatted and she is 17 years old this year and just a beautiful young lady it's kind of <laughs> stunning to me that she's 17 well, and she's an adult now and she talks like an adult and, you know, and it interacts and you have to it's it's a parent thing where you have to start thinking of your child as not one of the little kids, but as an adult and expecting that they will. You can't get away with as much. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> so wait, uh, she can't or we can't. She Well, we can't get away with as much because she's on the ball. She She's an adult. She understands more than a little kid does so um it's kind of funny she she has started to call me on things <laughs> so, um it, it's a, that is a strange feeling uh-huh yep. so but she's not so grown up that she, i can't give her legos and <laughs> star wars action figures for her birthday uh but she also got you know a, a cool hat and hair chalk which is a thing i didn't that i never knew about until now um yeah and cool clothes and uh yeah, books, of course. And books, of course. So just, uh, that was freedom. Thursday. Um, so on Friday was a, a terrible event. Um, this was the, the worst thing that happened all week to me. Um, I went food shopping and afterwards I took the girls to Dunkin Donuts for uh, a coffee and I got given the senior citizen discount. <laughs> I can't tell you how awful this moment is for me. Um, uh-huh. I... I, yeah, it was, it was quite shocking. Uh, the, the funny thing is the, the lady who gave me the discount was like, she had, she was at least 10 years older than I am. Like clearly old. She wasn't like this young kid who says, Oh, who's this grandpa? He needs a discount. No, it was this lady who was older than me giving me the discount. She and, thought she was doing you a favor. Probably. I guess according to my brother, Bernie, who knows who's an expert in all things, Duncan, um, he says you have to be 62 to get the discount. You are not 62. And I am well short of that by most of a decade. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was funny. So then today was, uh, we had a family party at my brother's house. There were several graduations in the family this, this weekend. My nephew, Josh, graduated high school. My niece, Katiri, graduated college. And my brother John's, and those are my my sister Evelyn's kids. My brother John's son Dominic 
he graduated college and was commissioned a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. And if you're keeping score, that's uh, two of his sons who are now uh, uh, officers in the U.S. Army, uh, which is pretty impressive. Their other son, John Paul, is actually deployed in Romania at the moment. But um, yeah, uh, Dominic is uh, graduated. He already has a job with Fidelity and uh, he's going to be in the National Guard uh, instead of active duty. And so uh, that was it was a great party. It's always fun to have these these parties, get together with people, see family, see friends. Um, My nephew, uh, Dominic's brother, Peter, his oldest brother, was there. And we we always talk about, you know, something to do with gaming, like video games, something to do with Hollywood, because he's a writer and, you know, he he wants to write. We have mentioned before how he's writing TV shows and movies. Um, and uh, and then this time we talked about Irish whiskey because that's his latest thing. He's 30. He's single. He's got a lot of um, disposable income. And so he enjoys life. <laughs> so he, he has the ability to do things like buy expensive bottles of whiskey and go on trips and buy massive Lego sets and that sort of thing. And it's, it's fun to talk to him about what his latest thing he's doing. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's fun. So we we had a lot of whiskey talk at this one. Uh-huh. So uh, I, I learned a bit about Irish whiskey. He's, he's apparently he's, he's only, only Irish whiskey, not Scotch whiskey. Like it's he's focused on Irish whiskey. So uh, anything else of the party that would kind of stands out? Um, no, it was just the usual fun, beautiful weather. You know, we couldn't have asked like, but we always say like my brother's uh, has parties no matter what the forecast is, it's always a beautiful day. I think they may have been once ever that they had a party and they have several a year where it rained. <laughs> Otherwise it's beautiful, sunny, warm. So it's kind of funny. So that's what we've been doing. So let's talk about some food on Friday. Uh, they had Mahi Mahi on sale at the supermarket. So I bought some, so we could try it out um, and make some uh, new recipe with it. Um, now, mahi mahi used to have a different name: dolphin fish. Dolphin fish. That's right, but that that didn't fly very well with the whole like because people got confused and thought that it was actually dolphin. Yeah, and uh, that kind of hurt the sales. Dolphin fish is not actually like the the cute little mammal that performs at SeaWorld. No, it's, it's just a fish. It's a fish. I don't know why they maybe because dolphins ate it or something or it was found near dolphin schools or something. No idea. Anyway, so they changed its name to Mahi Mahi to make it exotic in Hawaiian and that sort of thing. And I mean, that probably is the act, an actual like Hawaiian probably. name for it. But. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it came in this very long filet, which was frozen. I mean, that filet had to be, what, three feet long? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, three pounds. Uh, and it was a very simple recipe. It was a the the recipe called it um, easy mahi mahi recipe with lemon garlic sauce. It was basically a, a piccata sauce, which is lemon, capers, garlic, butter, uh, olive oil, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you did the cooking on that. I did. How'd that go? Um, it was OK. I also cooked coconut rice and some zucchini with tomatoes. And uh, green beans. The fish itself was like just seared in the pan. I mean, it was it was with a, easy with a like, quick with a quick 
garlic sauce. Yeah. I mean, that's what the recipe is. It's easy, right? <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, it was easy. Yeah. Um, the flavor was good. It was okay. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't the best ever, but it was, it was good. Yeah. Um, wasn't universally pop. I mean, the kids are just so used to like, most of them prefer salmon. Anthony doesn't like salmon, so we usually get him a white fish anyway. When we have uh, mahi mahi isn't exactly a white fish though. It's, no, it's more. It's got more flavor. It's yep, more akin to tuna, I would say, than to like or even like swordfish in some ways. Yeah, because it's got that like dark part too. Okay. Like a tuna has like a it's like a dark meat, a white meat section. Yep. If you want to put it that way, um, but it was okay. It was an okay. It was it was good. I mean, would we? Would we have it again? I I mean I might I might pump up the lemon a little bit on that, which is a common refrain. I put two lemons worth of lemon juice in it. Really? Yeah. yeah. I felt like it needed something. But I'm not sure what. But it felt like there was some something missing in it. Maybe wine? Wine would probably have been a good addition yeah. to the sauce. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put a link to the the recipe in the show notes, but yeah, you know, maybe think about something like that: adding a little wine or a little. Uh, I think what else? Vine- or vinegar, like some kind of, not balsamic, but maybe like a like a champagne vinegar or a wine vinegar or something. Perhaps. Yeah, a white wine vinegar, but something like that. Um, so we made that. Another thing I made was for last night's dinner, that pork belly, I was making the okonomiyaki. Now I've mentioned, we've mentioned that a few times. We made, made okonomiyaki like a year ago that you made. Uh, uh and then, it was much more than a year ago. Was it really? Oh okay. yeah. It was a couple of years ago. Okay. And then, um, well, I mentioned last week when I was camping, one of the, the scoutmaster, who's Japanese, she made okonomiyaki and it kind of got the bug in me. I'm like, oh, I want to try it. Cause she showed me like, look, if you just buy the mix, it's in a package, <laughs> you get these things. It's really easy. I'm like, Oh, she's like, this is the lazy mom recipe. When, when mom wants to be lazy and, and she just makes okonomiyaki. And I'm like, after I made it, I'm like, this is not lazy. Lazy is opening a, and I, you know, which we've done, but like doing it easy is opening a box of mac and cheese and cooking that this, this still has a few steps in it. Um, but I did, you know, I did it and you know, you, you kind of, you shred up a head of cabbage and um, you, you know, you mix up the, the uh, water, the the powder, you know, the flour powder and eggs, and then you put it in a pan, and then I I sliced up the pork belly and laid strips of that across the top. You cook it for three minutes on one side. You flip it over, and uh, you cook it for four minutes on that side. And I I did what she did, which is I put a a lid on it, which um, you know, to steam it a bit, and that worked out pretty good. In fact, I got a I got kind of a assembly line method going where I, uh, you know, was, was prepping the next batch while the first batch was cooking and that sort of thing. Um, it was okay. Um, I had some sauces, the, uh, okonomiyaki sauce, the, the, the Japanese mayo, the, um, nori powder, which is like a, the, the nori seaweed powdered and the, katsuboshi, which is the uh, bonito flakes, the tuna flakes. The okonomiyaki sauce is sort of a sweet, barbecue sauce yes yes and yeah and the 
mayo is is a sweet mayonnaise too, the uh, Kewpie mayonnaise. So um, yeah, I mean, I I kind of liked it. I liked it with the pork belly, which was a sort of a a meaty flavor. So pork belly is just like uncured bacon. I mean, that's all it is. Um, you could you could do with bacon, bacon be you know even easier. It's, I happen to see the pork belly at the market. I'm like, oh, I want to try that. So I was going to use bacon uh, for that, but it worked out pretty good. Um, but it is easy. I mean, it's it's not hard at all. It's a pretty easy recipe. And if you if you just follow the instructions on the package, um, so I, maybe what I'll do is I'll link to the um, the package on Amazon. And it, like the package itself is small, but it's like it, you'll you, it can make like fourteen or fifteen pa- uh, pancakes, like servings. So it's like it, it it makes plenty. So you're not going to go through it all in one one meal. So that's the okonomiyaki, and then you made uh, potato salad to bring today. Your your usual potato salad, German potato salad, German potato salad. So this is a, has a sort of bacon fat dressing. So you boil your potatoes with your red potatoes, and you get the little ones, and you like just slice them in half or quarters, uh, like bite sized chunks, and uh, then you cook the bacon. You cook some onions in the bacon grease. And then you add your vinegar and mustard to the onions and the bacon grease. Um, and so that makes that makes your dressing for the potato salad. And you use like a nice whole grain mustard to give it a lot of good texture. Uh, this time I added some sun-dried tomatoes as well. Mm. And you, you toss the bacon in at the end. Um, really, really good. I just, I love the flavors. Uh, it's So it's a mustard and vinegar. There's no mayo in it. And uh, what I realized this time, and I've made this recipe a few times, is that it calls for a cup of vinegar. And last time I made it, it took forever to like cook down until it was a reasonably not super watery sauce this time i actually read the instructions more carefully Mm -hmm. and realized that you were supposed to put half a cup of the vinegar in the potatoes as they boil so they kind of absorb some of that vinegar flavor as they're cooking and then only half of the cup is for of the vinegar is in the dressing this made a huge difference funny how that works yeah so anyway uh, lesson learned, read the instructions more carefully. <laughs> I have a tendency to just skim because I sort of know what I'm doing. And evidently that's a mistake. Yes. Yeah, that can be a mistake. So that's what we've been cooking. Let's move on to things we've been reading. And well, this week, let's talk about this just things we're reading. We watched, we watched a few things, but uh, nothing notably. That nothing we, to write home about. Nothing to write home about. Like just continuations of series that we're watching. Uh, but so I finished another novel. Uh, this one was the fifth Murderbot story um, called Network Effect. And Murderbot Diaries is a series uh, that takes place in the distant future. And, in, and it follows this um, security robot that is a cyborg. It's it's uh, part human, part artificial machine, part machine, part human. Um, and it it started thinking independently. It went rogue, quote unquote, but rogue in a sort of, I don't want to be around other people way at times. Um, and so I mentioned it before this one, it was a, the longest story yet. 
like the, all the previous stories were novellas and this was a full length novel and uh, it was good. It was, it wasn't as sometimes the stories have been a bit complex, like trying to keep track of things. I didn't feel like it, I was, I lost track of anything in this one. Um, the, I liked the, some of the new characters that were added, especially the teenager that, um, that he has to deal with. Um, who feels like a teenager. I'm guessing the author, Mary Wells has a teenager in her uh-huh. life, um, but she feels like a teenager in the sense of, you know, at times she's annoying child defiant, but other times she's sort of this incipient adult. Like we we're just saying with Bella, you know? Right. And uh, so interesting there as, as a parent of teens, you felt like it was re- well done. Yes. Um, and then just how this, basically like autistic robot. I mean, that's what he is. It's an autistic cyborg. He he's autistic in the sense of, or, you know, or on the spectrum in the sense of that's how it, if you wanted to compare it to a human behavior, um, someone who's on the spectrum, maybe fairly far on the spectrum with social difficulties, that's how it reacts, acts with people. I think it's interesting that, so, so Murderbot, the, the, the books are written in the first person, written by Murderbot. And so it uses a first person pronoun I, and most people refer to Murderbot using it. Yeah. So th- there's no gender assigned. It's a construct. You read it as he. Yeah. I actually tend more towards she. Really? Yeah. Like it did not did not strike me as obviously a he. That is interesting. Well, I guess I mean, I just picture, um, you know, a security unit. I mean, maybe that's my own misogyny, I suppose. But misogyny. I just think it's interesting that when you strip out from a character any gender, like, and you just let the reader sort of impose their own perceptions. I think that the, I wonder how many readers would tend to just go with their own hmm. gender as opposed to, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, cause like literally there, it has, you know, flesh parts, but it, but it's mostly machine. It does have a few brain parts, like a brain stem, like a human brain stem and other, some other cloned organs, but it literally has no reproductive organs. Right. There's no, uh, nothing like that. So this, I, I mean, the 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 cells would have to have an extra like. Do, wait, it might not even have any sex cells in it that have an X Y differentiation. Right, it might not. Yeah, actually have the. In fact, that comes up like several times. Like it, it's like I do not. <laughs> well, it thinks people are icky and people's um, yeah. habits are icky too. <laughs> right. um, that's interesting. Well, that would mean that would that would make the interactions with uh, other uh, another AI element in the story interesting too. Because yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting question to see. It's what you're seeing is is this creature emerging from this one very confined state of being to being a more fully realized person in itself. Right. Um, And that's an interesting question. Like, you know, in reality, you know, our data is a toaster. Are these, you know, these 
constructs are not people. They are constructs. But Murderbot is not just a machine. It has a human brainstem, you know, that was cloned from a person. So does is this a person? You know, is it a cyborg in the sense of a person with mechanical parts? The, the, I, I don't think the author is is at all interested in that question, but I certainly think about it as I read. I think the author is actually interested in the question of personhood. I don't think the author is interested in sort of a real world. Are can machines be human? I think I right. Well, I think from the author's point of view, I think she views it as this is a machine with some flesh parts that, it you know, some of the some of the mechanical parts just happen to be made of flesh. I, I don't think she views it as a cyborg. The author does, um, you know, where, where it's a human with um, augmented parts. I think I think she because I think she looks at the fact that like a computer AI can be a person with no human parts. Right. I mean, I think it's deliberately ambiguous, but but what you're saying is that from your perspective. I, from my perspective, the fact that Murderbot has a brainstem and, you know, brain parts that makes it more a person. Whereas for for her, I think that there's a strong thread of all of, of a there is a strong thread, especially in the the most recent book about like all robots that are artificial intelligences are persons. All the AIs are persons, whether they have um, whether they have human parts or not, biological human parts or not. Yes. That would be the authors. I think that's that's from my point of view. Anyway, um, is good. It continues to be a really good series of books. I look forward to reading the next one. Um, I'm kind of stuck because the new there's a new book coming out on the 23rd, which is the day that this episode drops. Um, so I'm, I kind of started another book, and I'm like, eh, I don't really. The, it turns out this book I started is sort of in the middle of a series. Oh, I hate that. It it it's kind of it's not really in the middle of the series. There, there was a whole series that came before, and this is like a new series in the same world. But it, it keeps referring to stuff that already happened. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't, it's just, I, that's unsatisfying to me. I, now I want to go back and read the first series so that I can. See, I, I, I think that even if it's a new series, quote unquote, it's still the same series. I mean, it's it, still a series, right. part it, of a series. It's all this stuff is referring to people, places, and events that have been written about in the previous books. And, and it's confusing. So, and this is what this is sort of a space opera. So every chapter is a whole different set of people. It's like very strange. And so it's oh. like, it's very complex. So I'm going to go back and uh, maybe pick up the next Murderbot novella while I'm waiting for the other book to show up on Tuesday. <laughs> so you've, um, you found a new book that you really enjoy. Uh, yes. I would say it's one of my, my new top favorite books ever. <laughs> That's a high uh, endorsement. Yeah. So, uh not surprising because another book by this author is also one of my favorite books. But this book was The Scent of Water by Elizabeth Gouge. Gouge? I'm not per- sure how to pronounce her name. G-O-U-D-G-E. Anyway, um, she was born at the turn of the last century. So in about 1890s or something, uh, around 1900. And uh, she 
was the daughter of an Anglican minister and she traveled extensively in her childhood and uh, her novels, they're not autobiographical, but, but they kind of are all over the place, geographically speaking. Uh, but The Scent of Water is about a woman who is a Londoner, born and bred, lived in London all her life, who inherits a house in the country from a cousin who with whom she shared a name, but she only met this cousin once when she was a small child. Um, who was her, she was her dad's cousin and her dad died shortly after she'd met this cousin and never, so wasn't able to take her to visit her again. Um, and it's really about not just this woman, but about the community. Um, so as she lives in this, this cousin's house, she starts to kind of get to know her cousin and probes into who was this woman. And she also gets to know all of the neighbors, the community in the small English village. There are no murders. Um, That was my first question. So who dies? (laughs) uh, No murders, but there's a birth and there's somebody goes to jail for some sort of economic business wrongdoing, um, defrauding people, I think. Gam- speculating with other people's money, something like that. Mm. Um, it's really just a lovely novel about a community rather than a person. And so there's there's a blind man who is an who is blinded in the Second World War. This is I think things takes place maybe in the fifties, sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Second World War is not that long ago. And he was blinded in the war and he's an author who basically composes in his head and um, dictates his poems and plays and books. Uh, who's kind of estranged from his wife. There's the vicar and his sister who's kind of mentally ill. There's the um, the squire and his wife. There's a, there's a couple with kids. The kids want to play in the garden of the cottage and are mad at her initially for moving in and taking over their garden. Um, but then what you find out as the story goes on is that her house is right next to the church. And it turns out that this church is the church of an old Cistercian Abbey, which was of course, uh, taken over and destroyed by Henry VIII when he closed all the monasteries. Mm-hmm. And the church is all that's left of the abbey. But it turns out that all the houses in the village are sort of within the abbey grounds. And there's this sense in which it's almost haunted by this supernatural presence of the abbey itself. Is this almost a spirit of a place. And there's like the spirit of this monk who they kind of almost encounter him. Various characters, they kind of imagine they see him or he appears to them in a dream. Sometimes there's a couple characters who hear chanting as if like they hear are able to hear the monks at prayer. And there's these moments of grace where the characters' lives are touched by something outside themselves and take a turn for the better. They're healed of ailments, like spiritual ailments, really. And it's just a really beautiful novel about communi- community, communion, grace, 
and healing. Um, and this beautiful relationships between like this older retired woman and the children. Uh, she, she strikes up a really beautiful friendship with the little girl next door. And she even takes on a tutoring role for her. Um, and there's like one scene, especially I love it when books get reconciliation, confession and reconciliation. Correct. There's just something really magical about seeing characters who confess a sin and then are reconciled. And so the little girl has taken something from the house like before the protagonist moved in and she eventually comes to the point where she confesses it and there's this beautiful moment of grace there and I love it when an author can capture that grace of what reconciliation means to the Mm. soul in a way that really opens up the spiritual reality Um, and it was just wow one of those novels that really was so beautiful, so filled with birds and plants and flowers and the seasons of the year. Um, and then this gorgeous imagery of, of water, um, which is clearly a baptismal imagery and this grace that moves through the, the lives of these characters and the, the living touch of history, how th- those who are dead aren't really gone. They continue to touch our lives, act in our lives, and we aren't separated as much as we think by time. There's also some really beautiful uh, references to T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, which always wins. uh, (laughs) That's my favorite poetry sequence ever. Uh, Anyway, I highly recommend it. This is the second Elizabeth Gouge book I've read. I also absolutely loved her novel, uh, Green Dolphin Street. So... So this was published in 1963. Okay. And her, she won an award for uh, the Carnegie Medal for a book called The Little White Horse, which was a children's book. Oh, I have read that. I have read that. Actually, I've read two of her children's books, and I have to say, I didn't really like her children's books. So J.K. Rowling says that Little White Horse is one of her favorite books and was a direct influence on Harry Potter. I have to say, I think... I didn't come to her children's books until I was an adult and I think I was too old. They just, mm. Bella, I think really liked the little white horse a lot. Um, I felt like it just missed the mark for me. Mm. Somehow I think, I don't know. There, Cause there are children's books that I've read as an adult that I really loved. And these just kind of felt like a little flat, but I love her adult books. So She's got a whole bunch of them. She's got like 20 adult novels and probably eight or 10 children's books and then some anthologies and nonfiction she wrote as well. Interesting. She's, uh, she's got a, a book called God So Love the World, The Story of Jesus, St. Francis of Assisi, A Diary of Prayer, and then her autobiography. Right. I mean, I really feel like reading the, the two novels that I've read, that she really has a deep spirituality and she manages to convey that not in a preachy way at all but just through story there is no preachiness it's just a really beautiful contrived christian elements (laughs) yeah it didn't feel contrived at all and she didn't like necessarily you know not every character had an amazing turnaround was there something called the romantic movement in the 1960s in British literature? I don't know. Because she, she was a founding member of the Romantic Novelist Association. It's not romance novels, 
But as she puts it, as the world becomes increasingly ugly, callous, and materialistic, it needs to be reminded that the old fairy stories are rooted in truth, that imagination is of value, that happy endings do in fact occur, and that the blue spring mist that makes an ugly street look beautiful is just as real a thing as the street itself. Finding beauty in a world that's increasingly full right. of Right, I mean, that was mist. definitely a theme in this novel is sort of, one of the reasons why the protagonist wants to move to the countryside is this aching awareness that this rural English life is disappearing and it will soon be gone. And she wants to experience it before it's gone. There's one character who's a traditional craftsman and he is the last practitioner of his craft and he hasn't been able to hand it on to anyone else. And when he dies, this craft will, will die out with him. There's that sense of the fleetingness the, in the encroaching of modern modernity. That crosses cultures. Do you remember a few years ago, there was a trend on Facebook or these videos that just kept popping up of this Japanese, I think it was Japanese woman. And the the, the videos were all in Japanese with Japanese. Subtitles. I think you're, you're the, the one, if I'm remembering right, it was a Chinese woman. It was a Chinese. Okay. She's like made, made paper and she was cooking and I guess. Yeah, I think there was one in Japan, too. I mean, it's not I'm not doing the whole, you know, it's all Asian and I'm mistaking right. them. I think there, I, but I, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with Japanese cultures. But anyway, in any case, but she was doing all these traditional things, making things from scratch. And there was a beauty to it. There was a calm, meditative nature to it. And I think that there's that, you know, there's this feeling in we've had so much dystopian so much you know gritty content books and movies and tv shows and whatever that people kind of want something that's less gritty less depressing and i look at like a show like ted lasso which is by by no means perfect i recognize its flaws it has plenty but there's a certain kind of goodness in it you know, that even even root for the bad guys in it, you know what I mean? And, and but there's a certain like just a good feeling in it. People are good to each other in it. Um, and there's something about that. I really like that quote, you know, about imagination is is of value. Fairy stories are rooted in truth. Happy endings do, in fact, occur. And the blue spring mist makes an ugly street look beautiful. And it's just as real as the street itself. Right. There, there really is a celebration. I mean, this this novel was very much a celebration of of beauty and yeah. of and of love and of goodness. Like even the characters who didn't completely turn around had moments where they encountered something that was beautiful, that was beyond them, that was pulling them towards a change. And I really liked there were several moments for several different characters where they felt like they had reached a decision point in their life where they, they had to make a choice and they thought that they had made a choice. And then sometime not in the very terribly uh, later, they realized that they thought that they had made a choice, but they're being asked to choose again. Hmm. And I, re- I've, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone do that where a character makes a choice that they seem to have like changed their life. And then they're given an opportunity to reconsider. Like, are you sure you really want to make that choice? Is that really the choice you want to make? Try again. The the second chance is not a theme that I've seen explored 
in literature as much as this novel did. That idea that grace doesn't just knock once and only once, that sometimes grace comes again. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, that was one of the things I really loved about it is, hey, maybe, maybe you thought that was an irrevocable choice, but maybe it's really not. Right. So, um, yeah, this, our, this, so her Wikipedia page, you know, talks about her, um, her own attitude toward her own novels. She said there were only three of her books that she loved, Valley of Song, The Dean's Watch, and The Child from the Sea her final novel. And she said she doubted whether the child from the sea was a good book. Nevertheless, I love it because its theme is forgiveness. The grace that seems to me divine above all others and the most desperate need of all of us tormented and tormenting human beings. And also because I seem to give it, give to it all I have to give. So, um, I, so I know I can never write another novel for, I do not think there is anything else to say. Wow. That's a pretty dramatic uh, statement. Maybe I'll save that one for my last one of hers to read. Cause I, yeah. I, what, one of the things I hate is when I read an author's best book first, because that's usually the most famous one. Yeah. And then I'm like, I really loved this. And I go and search out everything else they've written. And everything else they've written is sort of second tier. Right. Um, oh, one other thing I wanted to say about The Scent of Water is it really deals with mental illness in a way that I loved uh, the, the older, the elderly cousin who left her the house um, leaves behind diaries that she, that the protagonist reads. And this cousin had dealt with mental illness all of her life. And there's a beautiful moment where she sort of realizes that she's been giving, given a choice to, say yes to it Hmm. to not fight it but this is your crop it's not explicitly said this is your cross but she's really given a moment where she of clarity where she realizes that she can either continue to fight it tooth and nail and or she can accept it and find grace within it and that she's been asked to say yes to it and she does and I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything quite like that. Like it's never, she's never given a clinical diagnosis. You're not exactly sure what the nature of her ailment is, but it's certain, but what you see is her struggles with it and how it affects not only her, but the people around her hmm. and the, the choices that they're given to make to either accept her or to reject her in her brokenness, hmm. which and it feels like it's both very much about mental illness, but it's also sort of about the graces that we, we give to ourselves and to each other and about how God can work through even these things, which seem tragic in right. our lives. Cool. Anyway, I can right. go on and on. Yeah. So that's what we've been reading. Let's um, talk about uh, what we saw at mass this week. Um, it was, so for us, it was the seventh Sunday of Easter. And uh, although we didn't get much about the readings themselves, because it was also First Communion Sunday for our parish. Um, so before I get talking, talking about the First Communion itself, uh, our, our church has a problem in the sound system. Oh, really bad sound system. It, it started last week. Did you notice that? When Father Leo was, was um, 
was saying mass. It's it's been getting worse and worse over yeah. time. I mean, it, so, it didn't just start, but it it sort of hit a so critical point. I think what happens is uh, every once in a while there's a loud crackle, like a pop crackle. Um, and I timed it. It is exactly every forty nine seconds. That's too regular for it to be to be many different things. And the it knocks the the voices down, like you like they they're not being amplified, and like and then they come back up again. The the voices fade in of whoever's talking. Uh huh. My guess is um, there's a there's a fault in some electronics, and it's resetting every forty nine seconds. That's my guess. Hopefully they get a guy in there to fix it this week because he turned it off after the prayers of the faithful. He announced before mass that he would turn it off after the prayers of the faithful and just use his own projection of voice. And as I've mentioned before, Father Matt is a um, former Marine officer, infantry officer and current Marine chaplain. <laughs> he was a he was a Marine before he was ordained. Uh, so he can project his voice. Yes, <laughs> he good. Can. Uh, so it was first communion. And, um, one thing I noticed, by the way, is we didn't get the song at the end. You know, we used to get the kids all singing. Uh huh. They didn't do that this year. I think that's father's influence. It's one of those like, oh, isn't it sweet? Let's pay attention to the kids moment, but it's not really adding much to the mass. <laughs> uh, if I can be honest, um, it was just you know the for the families of the kids involved, I'm sure it's wonderful, but for everyone else, we're just enduring this usually very long song that they're singing. But Father Matt had his homily that he gave, and a couple high points. He, first, he talked about he asked the kids about what you know what are the what are the most important days of your life that you've had so far, and they named birthday so the day they were born. And then their baptism day. And he pointed out that you don't remember those, probably. Like, you certainly don't remember your, the day you were born. You probably don't remember your baptism unless you were baptized older. But I think he knew that none of the kids had been baptized older. They'd all been baptized as babies. And he says, but today, First Communion is the first important one you will remember. That's the first important day you will remember. Um, or you should remember. <laughs> because he pointed out that he did not really remember very much about his own first communion day. All he remembered was getting in trouble for talking. <laughs> I don't really remember much about my first communion. I, I remember, I, I have a memory of the photo of me in my suit. Um, I'm sure I was in the, the, a giant crowd of kids in St. John the Evangelist Church in Canton, Mass. I remember a lot about my first communion because I opted not to be part of the crowd of kids. Uh, I was at Catholic school and they had a first communion mass for all the, the school kids together. And I opted to sit it out. And I really, I don't even know how this went sit down. Sit it out, but go to. I made my first communion on a separate Sunday yes. when I was the only kid making the first communion. Right. So because it because it could have sounded like you were saying you decided not to receive your first communion. <laughs> I no, just want to be clear. I, I do not remember the decision making process and who got the ball rolling on that, whether it was my specific request or something. But I had a script in my head of how I wanted it to be. And so my, my parents and I brought up the gifts. And um. 
I wore a dress that was mostly white, but it had like little yellow flowers with green leaves on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it so it was not the traditional white First Communion dress. And I specifically remember not really wanting the traditional white First Communion dress. Um, I was a very uh, hippie child. I wouldn't say hippie. <laughs> I, I had I had my own ideas of how I wanted things done, and it was it. I was definitely a kid who walked to my own mm. beat, my own drummer, mm-hmm. and I did not feel a need to fit in. I think I really wanted my first communion to be something that was mine and not to be part of a crowd, which is very typical of me. So not so much a bridezilla as more of like communicantzilla. Um, I mean, I just remember it being, I remember it being a really special day and I remember just being happy. Yeah. And not having to endure. Like, I think part of it was that at that time, all of the school kids who were making the first communion sat together in a large group and they weren't with their families. And I yeah. wanted, I wanted to be with my family. Like the way our parish does it, each of the first communicants gets a pew of their own with them and their family. That's because there's what, seven of them as opposed to 40 well, or 50. There was four. I would say there was more like, uh, there's a handful of them as opposed like to 40 four, or 50 or 60. Like right. There would have been. Um, right. So there, I mean, that's part of it, but I, yeah, I, it was a really beautiful day. I mm. loved it. So he did encourage them to remember this day and remember receiving Jesus. He made a point to talk about um, food. Our mm-hmm. bodies turn food into us. That's how food works. But he, the he, Eucharist yeah, he, turns us into Jesus's own divinity. He, he he did a really good job of first asking questions that got their attention. He said, I talked to your parents before mass and they said that your favorite foods are broccoli and Brussels sprouts and green beans. And he listed all the, <laughs> the green vegetables. Uh, and you don't really like pizza and hamburgers and hot dogs and ice cream and cake. Right. And of course, the kids are all like, no. <laughs> um, so he, I, I think that Father Matt does a really good job of using humor to sort of get your attention focused. He's very good at knowing, like, not overdoing it either. You have to keep things short and simple and make a few points because otherwise you're going to lose them. And he did a good job of not losing anyone. Yeah, that is true. And then he um, he then he started asking them, so um, what do you drive? What's your car? You have a car, right? And like each each of the uh, first communicants, like, so you got a car like you, you don't. Like no, you you don't have a car. Like you 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 don't own a car yourself. Do you have, you have a motorcycle? What do you? Have? How'd you get here today? And so kept like went around asking the kids, "How did you get here today?" And he was making the point that parents, <laughs> these children, now have a right to receive the Eucharist. They have a right to be here at Mass every Sunday, and it is up to you to bring them. But first, before he did that, he got everyone's attention again using a Star Wars reference. Uh, that was after, actually. No, it was, I'm pretty sure it was before because he was talking about how this is the first, this is the beginning of a journey. And you're not going to be able to begin the journey. I well, mean, already ended with that, but okay. But he, yeah, he asked, you know, the, the, the great theologian, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, tells Luke, you know, you have, you've taken the first step into a larger world. Right. And so, you know, t- telling the parents, like, this is the first step, but they're not going to be able to take the next steps without on their own without help. They, they can't drive to church. Right. So don't 
don't deprive them of the the journey. And he emphasized like you enrich our community. Like it's not just I need bodies in the pew. I need to fill the pew or I'm not doing my job, you know, or we need more donations or whatever. He was really making the point like your presence enriches the community, makes it better, adds to our worship of God and will hopefully enrich you, you know, as well. So he I think it was a really good homily to really to make some important points that need to be made, but also to kind of um, uh, do it with gentleness, <laughs> which is, I think, an important aspect. So um, good job, Father Matt. It was, uh, it was it was good. So and that's it. That's it for this week. I think uh, we uh, should wrap it up there. We'll take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Walter G., Daniel W., Philip W., and Rose P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Raising the Bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Write a review at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Racing the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz.